hey, Joe Casaboni here, and I'm just letting you know that how I built it is now Streamlined Solopreneur. So if you're seeing a new artwork and a new name in your podcast player, that is expected and by design. The new name better reflects the mission and really what has been the mission of this show for the last few years, and I'm really excited about it. All the links in the show notes and how I built it will still work, but the show also has a new home over at streamlined.fm if you want to check it out. Thanks so much for listening. The whole point of Fiverr to me, business development and productizing your services so that it's kind of like, not necessarily like a one size fits all thing because you can also set gig extras and you can make different packages. You could do like, this is like the bare bones version of my service. This is like the mid tier. And then this is like the works. This is everything for a premium price. But you just want to, you want to think about your services in a way that you can consistently deliver things without needing to do a lot of additional research or questioning. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of How I Built It, the podcast that asks, how did you build that? We are in episode 164 today, and I am talking to my friend, Maddie Osman. Maddie has a unique approach to her business and agency, and it's mostly around getting gigs on Fiverr, selling her online courses on Skillshare and other marketplaces. When she first told me about this, I was blown away. I have not had good experience with the online course marketplaces like Udemy, and so they've kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. Um, I didn't think that somebody living in the United States could make a good income off of Fiverr, and Maddie proved me wrong on all accounts. She aff- offers she offers fantastic advice on how you can get started too with uh, both selling on Fiverr or other marketplaces, things to think about, and of course, the important rules you need to follow to make sure you stay in these marketplaces, good graces, which has helped her considerably. She's inspired me to start looking into some of this stuff. And I will certainly be more open to opportunities as they come across my inbox. So thank you to Maddie for that. Let's get into this episode, shall we? This episode is brought to you by Ahrefs. Ahrefs is an all-in-one SEO tool set that solves that problem. It gives you the tools you need to rank your website in Google and get tons of search traffic. As someone who struggles with what kind of content to create or what's ranking best in Google or really anything SEO related, Ahrefs has been instrumental in increasing traffic to my website. Over the holidays, I had my best quarter for affiliate income because Ahrefs showed me my most popular pages and topics, and I was able to optimize my content and my gift guides and update them accordingly. I would have never updated one of my gift guides because I didn't think it was that popular. Ahrefs actually showed me it is my most popular page. Ahrefs makes competitive analysis easy as well. Their tools show you how your competitors are getting traffic from Google and why. You can see the pages and content that send them the most search traffic, find out exactly the keywords they're ranking for, and which backlinks are helping them rank. From there, you can replicate or improve on their strategies. Now, uh, as I said, I don't think I'm getting significant search traffic, so I use Ahrefs tools to help find topics worth creating pages or content for. 
I can easily see estimated search volumes and gauge traffic potential with their Keyword Explorer tool. It's been a fantastic addition to my toolkit. Just this morning, I learned that my everyday carry post has been popular. Lots of people are coming. So I think it's time to update that because it's five years old. If you want to gain a following or just improve traffic to your website, Ahrefs is the tool for you. You can get a seven-day trial for $7 over at Ahrefs.com. That's A-H-R-E-F-S dot com for a seven-day trial for $7. And if you're anything like me, you'll be hooked. Again, that's A-H-R-E-F-S dot com for a seven-day trial for $7. Before we get started, I want to tell you about a new or newly redesigned resource I have called the Podcast Workbook. 2020 is sure to change a lot of things, including the podcast landscape. If you want to start your own podcast, but you're not sure where to start, check out my free podcast workbook at podcastworkbook.com. It will give you everything you need step-by-step to launch your show with checklists and equipment and service recommendations. It's everything you need to get started. And it's newly redesigned, so it looks a lot better, it flows a lot better, and it answers some of the feedback and questions I got from people who have already started using it. So go get it now. It's the free podcast workbook I've put together to help you launch your podcast in 2020, and it is at podcastworkbook.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of How I Built It, the podcast that asks, how did you build that? Today, my guest is a good friend of mine. Her name is Maddie Osman. She is the NSEO content strategist at The Blogsmith. Maddie, how are you today? Um, You know, definitely ready for a good podcast. And as I told you, going for a rehearsal dinner tasting later. So that's right. Super stoked for that. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, I am. Uh, I'm happy that this is the appetizer to what will hopefully be a main course. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, we didn't plan that, friends and listeners. We didn't plan that. Uh, today, we are talking about uh, essentially uh, diversifying your income as a freelancer or small business owner. Uh, and and Maddie, I'm having you on the show because in our we're in a mastermind group together, and you talked about things like Skillshare and Fiverr which were not avenues that I've ever considered. So I'm, I'm curious to hear how you're using them and how it's helped your business. But first, why don't you tell people who you are and what you do? Sure. So um, like Joe was saying, I do SEO content creation at my own company. It's called The Blogsmith and um, primarily work with WordPress brands. Um, it's my favorite community. But um, also do some like technology content creation, and um, every once in a while I'll get you know some stuff out of left field. Like I used to do content for like a carpet cleaner, <laughs> and um, I've done content for like a local emergency vet. So my process is such that um, you know I I try to get in touch with the people on you know, whatever client I'm working with team to, to get whatever knowledge I'm missing and, and then just help them by creating content because most people don't want to do it and they don't have the patience for it. And some of them, you know, 
just never really cared that much about spelling or grammar. So I'm happy to be that person for them. Awesome. Awesome. And so that's, you touched on an interesting point there already. Um, and that's kind of like gathering that domain knowledge, right? I, I create videos, tutorial videos for people. And if I don't already know the product, I have to go and learn the product. So uh, it sounds like you, you kind of work with somebody closely on the team to learn the five best techniques for carpet cleaning or whatever, right? Yeah. So, I mean, in the WordPress world, it's definitely easier for me to sort of take the lead on a project and find whatever information I'm missing. And obviously the most direct way to find that answer is to go through the client. But if it's something like how to set up a certain plugin and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, taking screenshots of that and sort of like documenting the process, it's usually something that I can cobble together on my own. But but yeah, for things where it's like, that's definitely not something I ever studied. Um, I've found that by just adding um, an interview component to my process of, you know, writing each blog post, it's a really effective way to get that subject matter expertise without having to go and, um, you know, scour like scientific articles. Yeah. You know, obviously yeah. research helps to supplement whatever somebody says, but if they can make themselves available, then we can kind of save each other a lot of time by just asking questions, getting answers, and then uh, taking it from there. Yeah, for sure. And like re- research, I mean, like you said, it should be supplementary, right? If you don't even know what terms to search, your right. research is going to go poorly. Um, totally. Or at least it's going to take a lot longer. Right. Um See, I, I will link to uh, the Cortex podcast. CGP Gray, a YouTuber, talks about how when he does these like deeply researched videos and he always gets thrown down rabbit holes. So uh, I will make sure to link to that. Yeah, uh, that's the other problem with research. Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> awesome. And so uh, you, this is your company and you work with a lot of brands. Um, and so first let's talk about before we look at these other marketplaces, what is your primary way for getting clients or what maybe was your primary way for getting clients? Mm -hmm. Um, I would say now and maybe for the past year or two, um, the primary way I'm getting clients is a mix of word of mouth um, within the WordPress community, especially because I found that if you do good work for one person, um, that's, you know, decently connected in the WordPress community that they talk to their friends. And I'm extremely grateful to have had the opportunity to work with a lot of just like awesome clients who I would also consider friends. And so that's, that's been a big thing. I think that's something that's kind of special and unique to this community that we're all kind of looking out for each other and we all reward good work and, and are even like willing to pay a premium for it because I wouldn't say that my services are cheap by any means. Yeah. So, and, and just like, especially in this community, there's a lot of um, like independent workers, you know, small companies. And so it's easy to take something like content and say, that's not something we're going to spend money on, or, you know, that's not something we're going to spend that much money on. But I think that people in the WordPress community, um, technology in general, like any sort of like SaaS tool, uh, they realize that if they're not communicating their message well to customers, then they're just not going to make any sales. 
So yeah, yeah, part absolutely. Of it is just like deconstructing the developer speak into like a public facing, you know, customer facing way. Um, so that that's been a big thing. And then really the other thing that transcends the WordPress industry is um, the fact that when I'm writing, I get a byline. And so people know who is the person who wrote it as well as where they can go to find more information about me and my services. And throughout the years, I've kind of optimized my website to be uh, leading people directly towards my services and just focusing, you know, on SEO content specifically. And, um, you know, just trying to proactively answer any questions that people might have up to and including how much do these services cost? Because I found that just by being upfront about everything, it kind of saves everybody time if we're not in the same ballpark in terms of budget. So, um, so yeah, it's like a mix of people I know, outlets I write for, and then just being really purposeful with my website so that it can help me to make sales even when you know I'm not jumping on calls with people. That's uh, that's fantastic. So two points here. Uh, you're you're touching on a couple of things that uh, Shannon Schaefer, who I had on earlier in the season, um, talks about. Right, uh, being upfront. Uh, you know, she has a whole onboarding process for potential clients that will weed them out before that first call. Right. Uh, and what I'm I'm trying to do with my process as well. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so. Uh, as we record this, that episode hasn't been published because I recorded it like two hours ago, but I'll be <laughs> sure to send you the final cut. Nice. Uh, <laughs> um, so, because there's a lot of great information in there. I'll link it in the show notes for this episode over at How I Built It as well. How I Built It as well. <laughs> um, and then the other thing you, you mentioned was the the byline. So people have offered, when I do videos, you know, people have offered to like put my name in the video, lower third. And I've always taken a very white label approach to it. Now, the uh, the guys over at LearnDash still do. They add my picture and, and a link um, in the video, which is super nice. And and But I've always taken a white label approach. But I also never thought that that was like a really good way to get new customers. And so I will be sure to, if not suggest, definitely take people up on that offer moving okay. forward. Because uh, that's, I mean, that... I. I I guess I just always assumed that like the byline was like a link to an internal page and, and people didn't read that, but yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think what's happened for me and what I think people have in mind when they're talking to you about it is your name can carry some weight and influence. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I feel like it's been like more recently that, um, people have been, talking about me like I've seen my name come up in like the mentions that I set up across the web more often lately um you start to get to like a point in your career where you've built up all this content you've done all this work to make yourself known and um and then it finally starts to pay off in that your name carries some sort of weight when it's associated with the content that you create for other people so recently when clients have, when new clients have been reaching out to me, they'll say, you know, we really want to have your byline next to this article because of, you know, whatever influence they think I have. And it's just because, you know, then when people go and sort of, if they don't know who I am and they look it up, then they have 
an idea that I know what I'm talking about and that lends some credence to the publication. And it also, um, in some ways, makes that article more shareable because it's associated with someone who who has, you know, built up a subject matter expertise. So um, the flip side of that is I also do ghostwriting for clients. And, um, and sometimes it's for industries that have no relation to what I do at all. And I think in cases like that, I'm happy, maybe happy is not the right word, but I'm okay with not having the byline on that because I don't want to confuse people in terms mm-hmm. of what's associated with me and my name. Um, with the content that I'm publishing. And again, it comes back to that process I have where, you know, I'll do subject matter expert interviews with people. So that's how I'm getting the information. And I'm still, you know, the person who wrote it, but I'm not necessarily the person who like came up with those ideas. And so in cases like that, I think it's, it's good to have the separation of the ghostwriting so that um, people realize that, that this, these ideas are attributed to this person, even though I'm the person who wrote it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so that's good. I'm, I'm glad you kind of covered both sides of that because there's, there's definitely value in both. Totally. Um, and, and it kind and of depends. charge yeah. for ghostwriting, you can also, um, charge a higher rate because, mm-hmm. because then you don't get those marketing benefits from it. And so to me, the way I look at it and the way that I talk to clients about it is that, when, when they're um, ordering byline writing for me, that's a discount from like my normal rate, if you want to call it that. Um, and it's because I know that that can bring me new business. And no matter what, it helps me to continue to build my subject matter expertise in technology. Yeah, absolutely. I would do the same thing uh, if, if a client didn't want, you know, the website designed by Joe Casabona at the bottom of their page. Because it was, you know, it's like, um, you know, that's a bit of social proof. Like, here's yeah. something out in the wild that I did. Totally. Uh, so, yeah, so that's great. Um, so, so you kind of, you get clients from word of mouth uh, through the byline and, and things like that. But then you also, uh, you also have yourself on these other marketplaces, like primarily, uh, it seems like based on our previous conversations, primarily Fiverr, but you also yeah. have stuff on Skillshare. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So, um, so we'll start with Skillshare because I think it's a little simpler to explain and I have less experience with it. Um, I can't remember what drew me to Skillshare initially. Um, they might've reached out. I can't, I can't recall, but I do know that when I started with them, they had a teacher challenge and they do these all the time where they're just trying to incentivize new teachers to come onto the platform and create their first class. And so I created my first class and it either inspired or was inspired by a topic I did for WordCamp Denver. And it was called how to write a kick-ass blog post and still is my most popular class to date. It has almost a thousand students at this point. And, um, and, and the reason that I even like continued to, to be involved on Skillshare is because during that teacher challenge, they ended up featuring that class in their marketplace where it came up like in the first results for like the, it was like the blogging category, something like that. It was like a specific category that was related. And, um, and that helped me to get an early boost in terms of students. And then 
And then followers, because it's kind of different. Each class is students, but your account can have followers. And okay. so, um, so it, it gave me an, an, an early boost in really both those regards. And um, then I started doing more classes. And so, you know, it kind of carries over from the classes you did before people get pinged if they're following you, that you have new classes. And it also like helps people to see the different areas of expertise you have or like the different sides and like approaches you take to the same sort of topics. Um, what was I going to say? Um, so yeah, that was, that was kind of like the early involvement that I had for Skillshare and it, and it just kind of like blew up from there. And then, um, I created a bunch of different classes and, and honestly, most of the classes that I do on Skillshare are speaking topics that I'm doing for something else. So for me, like one of the main reasons that I'm effective with Skillshare is because I'm repurposing content that I've already created or I'm creating it for Skillshare and then it has an application elsewhere that I've probably already planned for. Um, so that's, that's the big thing with Skillshare. And then with Fiverr, um, I was initially drawn to the marketplace because my mentor at the time, who was also like my first big client, had told me that it worked for him to generate new social media clients for his business. And so he gave me his best practices. He was very methodological. How do you say that word? Method. Uh, yeah, me- methodical. methodical. There. <laughs> I was trying to like visualize it in my head and I couldn't. (laughs) (laughs) That's bad for a writer, but, um, so that's why you have Grammarly for it. (laughs) And that's the thing. You always have to have a grammar checker if you're a writer (laughs) because your your brain just like it messes up and it's like, what is that? (laughs) Yeah. As a quick sidebar, I'm like the absolute worst at proofing my own stuff. Like I, yeah, I publish my blog posts and then like, Sure enough, within an hour, I can always count on my friend Sal to like DM me and be like, you have a typo here. I'm like, Thank you, Sal. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're blind to our own mistakes because we're so used to our own writing and how it looks. Right. Um, so, so anyway, yes. so, so you had a mentor, right, who was very methodical. In, yeah, he was very purposeful in everything he did. And so I, I took those principles to design my own gigs. And um, and yeah, so basically I've been on the platform since, I think, June 2016, something like that. And it wasn't until probably this year that I started making like real money on it. I, w- I wouldn't say that any of the other years were wasted. Like I was still, here's the thing that everybody needs to know. It's that Fiverr doesn't require you to start your services at $5 anymore. And none of my mm-hmm. services start at $5. Gotcha. Um, yeah. yeah. So in order to make money, you have to, you have to be thinking about um, how much you would make off the platform, but also Fiverr charges a 20% fee for anything that you build through their platform. So you have to, you have to make enough to kind of make it worth it in regards to that specifically. But, um, but yeah, so I've just, I've just been trying to be consistent over the years. Um, the way that you level up is by having good metrics in terms of how you communicate with customers, things like on-time delivery, things like completing orders instead of canceling them and getting um, as many five-star reviews as you can. And by, by just being essentially a good communicator and sort of playing the game on Fiverr, um, 
eventually the consistency will pay off in terms of these higher distinctions. So right now I'm, uh, I'm a top rated seller, which just means that I've maxed out all the seller levels and it gives me some preferential terms in terms of payouts. Like usually it's like a 14 day payout for a completed order to clear. But for me, it's a seven day. And, um, it also helps me with like preferential placement and search and, uh, things like that. So, so having tenure is like a good thing on Fiverr. And obviously if you're just starting today, it's going to take you a while to be successful. But the other side of the coin is they have a pro marketplace, which you don't have to have tenure on Fiverr for. You just have to be essentially known outside the platform for what you do. So that's like gotcha. a quicker way to better earnings if you have worked to sort of establish an image for yourself in your industry. Gotcha. It's where the, those bylines probably come in handy, right? You have like Definitely. a portfolio or social proof. Uh, okay, cool. So we covered a lot of ground there. Um, I want to jump uh, back to Skillshare for a moment um, because I'm I'm looking at it and I'm now considering it. Uh, it looks like so it's you're good for you, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like I never. So here's the thing: a little backstory. Longtime listeners probably already know this story, uh, but I did a course for Udemy, mm. and Udemy like promised the world me the world. <laughs> uh, but then didn't tell me how to play the game. Brad Hussey later told me how to play the game, but I was already like a lover scorned by this point. Um, and so I wrote off all of these platforms that are like, make the course and then we'll pay you. Right. Um, so instead of being like paid up front or a royalty based thing. Um, and like, I put a lot of effort into that course because that's how I make courses. Uh, so we, with your how to write a kick-ass blog post course, it's about an hour. It's an hour and 12 minutes. Mm-hmm. How long did it take you to make that course? It looks like you're mostly like talking in front of the camera. It's almost like you're giving a talk. Is that right? That's how I do it. Okay. Um, and so a couple of things to keep in mind. Um, first of all, is that Skillshare recommends that all classes are somewhere around an hour. It could be okay. less too. It could be a half hour class. It could be a 15 minute class. Um, I think that my sweet spot is like 60 minutes, almost exactly. Okay. Um, the whole point of Skillshare is really that it's like bite size. It's like, I want to yeah. learn, I want to know this what I need to know about this topic thing. specifically. Yeah. Yeah. And That's a, that is a trend that we're seeing in the online space. Like just in time learning is what Chris Badgett from Lifter calls it. Like yeah. people are Googling a question and they want a course that essentially answers that question. Right, right. So that's a good way to think about coming up with course topics for Skillshare. Um, I, I probably spent like an ungodly amount of time on that class because it was my first. Um, okay, so another point to keep in mind with Skillshare, they like varied visuals. So they want, it's okay to do like what I did with the talking over slides. Um an interesting thing they told me is that they don't necessarily want you to be a talking head in the corner of your slides, Mm -hmm. but they do like when you're a talking head in general. Right. Right. Um, Yeah. So you gotta, you gotta be thinking about how you can mix up your visuals because at the end of the day, Skillshare is really for like creatives and like artists. Um, And so a lot of the classes are like how to do watercolor painting or how to do like cartoon animation and other related stuff. 
And so my classes do well because these are like the more technical topics that people starting their own like art businesses want to learn, Mm -hmm. Um, like different like promotional strategies for them. But that's not necessarily the bulk of the content on Skillshare. It's, it's It's a niche for sure within the marketplace. Um, so yeah, I mean, to answer your question, I had already planned on doing this topic for WordCamp Denver. So I, I'm pretty sure I, I did it for WordCamp before I did it for Skillshare. And then I just like re-recorded it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. Okay. So like, so first of all, talking head in the corner is just like such a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> I did um, it for one video and I, and yeah. I was kind of weirded out by it. So I'm glad they told me not to do it anymore. Yeah. I like just, I might've done it for like a recent video because like <laughs> it made sense. Like I popped in, but like, hey. us- <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Or like, but usually I'm fading myself out because like you're just taking up screen real estate for no reason. Like nobody needs to look at your face. Yeah. Um, while well, they're like, like looking at a slide. Extra pressure to be like on camera while you're trying to go through the material. Like you might be wanting to like look at notes, but you have to be like, yeah, you know, present yeah. in the frame. Right. Right. Exactly. I I made a stylistic choice in a recent YouTube video, but it's because the picture that I was showing on the screen wasn't like a 4K picture, <laughs> and I didn't want it to look like grainy. So I just like put myself, and I'm like pointing out stuff on the picture. Whatever. Um, that's a, that's a bit of a tangent. Um, (laughs) but, uh, uh, I, so, so they recommend 60 to 30, uh, 30 to 60 minutes. That makes sense. What specific question are you, uh, does your course answer? And they like varied visuals. Uh, what do you use to edit your videos? Like nothing. (laughs) Nice. Problem together. Nice. And then low quality operation, but I just try to focus on, on like helping people solve a question, solve a problem. For sure. And so then do you end up like overlaying slides like throughout the course of um, of your videos? Like, is it like you talking for a little bit and then like it, you like swipe in a slide? It's mostly just like each each lesson of the video is a series of slides. And so I'll okay. talk over them so that people... Cool. That makes sense. Angles, but then I'm giving them like the the meat, you know? I see. I see. So uh, we're probably looking at, so I just looked at like the intro video, right? So uh, you're, you're in front of the camera for that one. Right. But for your other ones, it's like a series of slides that people yeah. are looking at. But, Sweet. But definitely the very visuals thing is important to keep in mind because they kind of like arbitrarily took one of my classes down like a month or two ago. And they said it was because the visuals were not like varied enough, even though I had like pictures on my slide, I had a talking head or two. Um, gotcha. So just just to like, you know, warn people that are thinking about using the platform, like that is a really important thing to them moving forward. So just to to make sure that your hard work actually pays off, make sure that, that you're mixing it up as much as you can. Gotcha. Okay, cool. That's that's good to know. And and the reason I'm I'm digging a little bit into this, right, is because um I want to I want to let the listeners know that like creating a course doesn't necessarily need to be a several month process. Totally. Um, you know, you can repurpose content. Right. To start with something like this to validate your idea. Yeah, for sure. So um, I think that's great. I'm definitely going to borrow some stuff from uh, my podcast liftoff course and maybe put it over on Skillshare uh, just to see how it does. Um, yeah. 
And wow, we've already been talking for like a half hour. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so then you moved into talking about Fiverr. And uh, I think the big takeaway here is that Fiverr doesn't require you to start your services at $5 anymore. That is um, a big takeaway. Yeah. Uh, so, so this is great. So you mentioned being consistent, right? Working your way up from the bottom. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people don't really want to do that anymore. They want to start at the top. Right. Uh, but to to quote the great philosopher Drake, you know, started from the bottom. Now we're here. Um, <laughs> uh, so you can level up by having good metrics. What kind of services do you feel uh, lend themselves really well to Fiverr? Like I, as a web developer, I don't necessarily feel like website design is going to be what I offer on Fiverr. Sure, but you could. Um, right, right. Even in the pro category. So, so. Um, for the people who don't want to do too much work to start making okay money, pro mm-hmm. marketplace is going to be the best fit for you, honestly. Um, and you know, you can still, you, I feel like, I guess I'm not totally sure, but it seems to me that if you did that and you kept your metrics good and you fit all the other requirements for a top rated seller that you could still, you know, also be a top rated seller starting from pro. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay, wait, remind me of the question again. Uh-oh, package. Oh, that's okay. We can, uh, I'll clap. And then, All yeah. right, wait like one minute for the dogs to... All right, sounds good. Out. It's probably UPS. And mm. as soon as they can't see them, they'll shut they'll, up. They'll be good to go. Yes. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yep, UPS delivered a package that is not my own package. Somebody oh. else's. Uh-uh. Uh, it was supposed to go to like 335 instead of 535. Uh, and I was like, now I have to tell. Now I'm going to put a note on this and say it's not ours. And Aaron's like, you can just bring it to them. And I'm like, the point, <laughs> yeah, the point is not that I could easily deliver the package to right. whom it belongs. Kind of a package delivery company. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's that UPS made a mistake and they should fix it. I shouldn't have to take time out of my day to fix it. Right. All right. I think they're good. All what right. What the question was, though. Uh, oh, yeah. So before we jump back into it, Joel, you can cut out everything from the dogs barking to the clap. Um, <laughs> uh, it was, uh, what kind of services do you feel are best suited for Fiverr? Okay. All right. So other services to consider besides possibly website design. The only problem with like a multi-step service is like website design where you have to get feedback is that Mm -hmm. one of the metrics you're judged on in in Fiverr on Fiverr is uh, on-time delivery. Mm -hmm. And you can, you can technically deliver an order and then a a customer can request modifications. And so that, you know, them requesting modifications wouldn't affect your on-time delivery. It kind of resets the clock. In, In a sense. Yeah. Um, but it also makes it so that if someone re- requests modifications and you know you don't deliver again in a timely manner, that they could cancel the order. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, you essentially or ideally, you want to think about services that you can deliver in one go that you don't need a lot of feedback for. Because when somebody places a new order, they are prompted with whatever questions that you set up in your gig. It's called the gig requirements. And ideally, your questions are getting whatever information that you need. And maybe you have to ask for more after that if it's not, you know, if you see it and you know that it's just not enough information to get the job done. 
But that's the whole point of Fiverr to me is that it cuts down on business development. And so I'm doing everything I can in the gig itself, the description, you can set an FAQ in the gig requirement questions, just trying to answer any possible question that people have, which becomes easier to do after you're on the platform for a while, because you'll notice a trend um, when people like DM you. And, and yeah, so basically the whole point of Fiverr to me, business development and um, productizing your services so that it's kind of like, not necessarily like a one size fits all thing because you can also set gig extras and you mm-hmm. can make different packages. You could do like, this is like the bare bones version of my service. This is like the mid tier. And then this is like the works. This is everything for a premium price. Um, but you just want to, you want to think about your services in a way that you can consistently deliver things without needing to do a lot of additional research or questioning, um, you know, the whole, the whole thing on Fiverr is you have to have a good process for delivering those services. So if it's something that you're offering that you're like excited about, but it takes you a long time to do, it's probably not going to be a good fit for Fiverr. If it's something that mirrors like the stuff you do every day, that's mm-hmm. probably something you have a process for. And if you don't, I would recommend getting that figured out before you go on Fiverr because all the like metrics and communication that's expected of you to maintain whatever level you have, um, you know, having bad metrics will really hurt you. And it gotcha. essentially resets after like 60 days. It's like a, some sort of like trailing average. Or yeah. So you yeah, that's how you to me. Yeah. But yeah. 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 It's a long time, 60 days. For sure. Yeah. That could, I mean, that's that could kind of, right? Because if you have like one bad rating, then it might kill your work for 60 days. And you're starting but, yeah. So that's the thing. You just, you try to, you try to under promise and over deliver, which doesn't always mean doing extra work. Like for me, if I'm writing an article, I try to go a little over the word count just so that people, mm-hmm. people get a good impression from me that, you know, it's, I'm not just doing the bare minimum. Um, but over delivery can also be like delivering an order a day before it's due. So Mm -hmm. when you, when you make your gig, when you set up your gig, you have to be thinking about like, how do I be competitive with other sellers on the marketplace? What are they doing for these prices and for things like delivery time? Um, but you know, you should make it, you should make your delivery time, maybe even a day longer than you think you need just to preserve your metrics. And you can also offer like a one day delivery option for like however much percent it's worth to you of the total order value. And then, you know, for those people, yeah, it's kind of annoying to rearrange your schedule to accommodate those orders unless you build in like a fiber block every day. That's, you know, this is what I'm going to put in. Oh yeah. Yeah. We're seeing that this could happen. But, um, but yeah, so it's, so it's just like thinking of ways to surprise and delight so that people won't condemn you with their ratings. That's, yeah, that's a really, that's a really good piece of advice. Um, you know, you know, and that's like project ex, uh, estimation time. Like I always multiply it by two. Yeah, that's uh, a good way to do it. So, um, Surprise and delight. I like that a lot. So I, I'm I'm gonna 
ask you something that I'm I'm worried is taboo. So if you don't <laughs> want to answer it, uh, you don't have to. Um, but has there has there been a situation where like you found a client on Fiverr and then you took that relationship off Fiverr? I feel like that's something Fiverr frowns upon because they're losing like twenty percent of your yeah. gigs. So I think there was probably temptation for me to do that earlier on. Mm-hmm. Um, like before I became a pro and like a top rated seller, but now I don't necessarily have that temptation because, um, most of my Fiverr customers, like, it's just like self-service on the platform, you know? And so again, like, I just like really dislike business development and I would rather just like do the work and have some other system facilitate it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, of course there's always temptation because they take 20%. Right. But if you look at that 20% as like a business development investment or like Fiverr is your virtual assistant, like finding you clients and managing that relationship. And that's uh, kind of how I see it, honestly. Like, so there's this book, it's called like the million dollar consultant or something like that. And they have this formula for how people make money off like a given client or project. And it's something Mm -hmm. to the effect of 50% of the whole project price is for whoever brings in the lead, whoever did the business wow. development. And then it's like, I always mess this up. It's between thir- it's between 30 and 20%. One of those goes to the person who does the work. And one of those goes to the person whose processes were used to do the work or the company or whatever. Gotcha. And so if you, if you think about it from that perspective, um, and if you think about it compared to other freelance marketplaces, it's not, unreasonable the 20 percent um it's something that you can use as a tax deduction because that's a cost of doing business Mm -hmm. i would say that i wish it kind of scaled as you moved up the platform so it's like now that i'm doing pro orders you know more orders because by nature of me coming up more in search it would be nice to be rewarded for my seniority and for all the work that i've done up until this point right it would also be nice my main beef with Fiverr is that they always side with the customer in an issue with an order. And to some extent, I get it. I get publicly siding with the customer. I mean, that's what I yeah. would do in my own business. Um, right. But what I don't understand is when it's very clear that a customer is taking advantage of me and um, I did the work that was promised exactly as, you know, written. Uh that they should still compensate me. They can refund the customer if they want, but it shouldn't come out of whatever that order was supposed to go to me. Right, right. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I will say, like to Fiverr's credit, most of the customers, 99% of the customers I work with are amazing. They tip me on top of the order value because they're very happy with the work that I do. They're, you know, very like awesome to talk to, like genuinely great human beings. If I ever have to like deliver an order late, like people are so cool. And like, you know, as long as you just explain things to them and are a good communicator, Mm. they'll be a good customer. But in the, you know, like handful of times that I've had just like a really awful customer, I just wish that they would have my back a little bit more because I mean, like even like in this interview, it's like, I have their back. Yeah, right. Absolutely. It's a, I feel the same way about this is what like soured me on Udemy because I think that 
Udemy is way worse than what you're describing at Fiverr, right? But like Udemy, it's like they'll do whatever they need to do to get more new students, Mm. usually at the expense of the author, um, of the course creator. And so like, you know, it's like unfair to bite the hand of the people who are doing the work for you or whatever. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, but in any case, this is not a dump on Udemy Fest. Uh, This is... (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, That'll be like a bonus episode. (laughs) Today's episode is brought to you by Smile and their product, Text Expander. Save time typing and boost your productivity with Text Expander. You know I'm all about automation and Text Expander is a great way to get started with automation. It allows you to create your own snippets for repetitive text you tend to use everywhere. Add the text, create a snippet, And boom, save precious time and keystrokes. One of my favorite snippets is for my address. So instead of typing out my full address and risking typos, I simply type dollar sign A-D-D-R and Text Expander does the rest, filling in my full address for me. I also have snippets for my street, my city, and my zip code. But that's not all Text Expander does. With its advanced snippets, you can create fill-ins, pop-up fields, and more. You can even use JavaScript or AppleScript. Another one of my favorite and most used snippets is when I type PPT. That will take whatever text I have on my clipboard and convert it to plain text. So I'm no longer fighting formatting when I copy from a Word document, a Google Doc, or a plain HTML page, like a website. I also use it for common links, email messages, which I can completely customize with fill-ins and drop-down menus, and even date calculations. I'm currently writing a book, and Text Expander has been instrumental with that. Text Expander is available on macOS, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad, so pretty much anywhere you do computing. If you've been curious about trying Text Expander or automation in general, now's the time. As a listener, you can get 20% off your first year. Just visit textexpander.com slash podcast and let them know how I built it sent you. That's textexpander.com slash podcast for 20% off your first year. And now back to the show. As we wrap up here, Maddie, could you give uh, the listeners maybe three tips or five tips or whatever for starting to diversify your income, whether it be you know, how do you launch your first course on Skillshare or how do you get started on Fiverr? Something like that. So, um, on Fiverr, I think it all starts with a really good gig. So you have to think of your gig as like a sales page. Um, and just like you would on your website, decide describing your services, but you have to be more focused on the deliverable than everything else around it, which you might, Mm -hmm. which is how you might approach it on your website. Um, you have to anticipate questions that people might have about your process and up to like literally describing once you place the order, then I take your answers, you know, this is my process. And then this is what delivery looks like. Um, a lot of people like to know what the final deliverable will look like, which is maybe a little bit more relevant for like my UX audit gig that I do, because Mm -hmm. some people just like are sort of unfamiliar with the terminology, even if they've manage to find my gig, they might be unclear about what they're getting for the price. 
And so like in my FAQ section, um, I just, you know, sort of say like, here's what the deliverable looks like. Here's what you can expect. Sometimes people still have questions after that. And, um, you know, it's just like directly sending them like, here's what a report looks like. Here's what a, uh, you know, screen recording looks like, whatever. And um, so having like examples ready, Fiverr technically has a portfolio and customers, when they leave you a star rating, they can either say like, add this to your portfolio or like, I, nice. I don't want this added because it might have sensitive material, you know, like company specific material. Um, and so that helps too, because then people can see what you've done for other sellers alongside their star rating for you. So if they were really happy and you have a good, you know, deliverable to show them that that's good social proof right there. Um, nice. let's jump to Skillshare. So Skillshare, I mean, kind of what I was saying before, like, I don't think, I think that some people make decent money on Skillshare. I don't think that anybody's making like six figures on Skillshare. Right. So I think that people like whenever they send emails to students to incentivize people, they'll talk about like, you know, we have one teacher who makes like 50 or $60,000 a year, which for that person might be like really awesome. For me, I would want more. Right. <laughs> that was my right. full-time job. Yeah. Um, so you have to kind of treat it as a side income, I think. For, for most people, I don't think it would make sense to put all your eggs in that basket. Because the way that Skillshare pays out to students is it's based on membership revenue for that month. And okay. then you get a percentage of that based on how many minutes your classes were watched versus everybody else's. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. That, that's, that seems to generally be the model, but it's, so it's based on membership revenue for that month. So people right. are paying a monthly fee to be on Skillshare. And then mm-hmm. if you got, you know, 5% of minutes watched, you'll get 5% of that monthly revenue or whatever. Right. Oversimplification of the formula probably because they're taking a cut, but. Right. But, but, but it's essentially that. And, yeah. um, and yeah, so there's there's variability between months. So for me, I would just it would drive me crazy to wait because I don't think you actually know until the 16th of the month after. Mm-hmm. That's when they send the check. I don't think they yeah. post the the metrics until then. Though at least I'm not 100 percent sure on that. But it's like so you wouldn't even know how much you're making for that month until literally yeah. the 16th, and then you know it's like and then the month this month's already halfway over. So if you needed a course to correct, like you have minimal time before your next check is then, you know, right. the metrics have been figured out. So, so yeah. So for me, like the best advice I can give for Skillshare is don't make it your primary income, but um, use it to, to repurpose content you've already created. And, and that might be things like speaking slides, but it could be like a blog post that you wrote that's, super in depth and you just need to sort of modify it for the platform. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really great idea. It's definitely something that I'm going to consider kind of moving forward because I give a lot of talks and then they kind of fall into the ether or like maybe course previews. You might as well make money off them. Here's another benefit of Skillshare for me. Um, So whenever I'm giving a talk that I've already given because Mm -hmm. they're all on Skillshare, I can just watch them. And that's part of my prep now. Nice. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's fantastic. So 
So, so I'll watch them. I'll like take note of things that I might want to change because maybe like, you know, I need to update the content, but, but I'll take notes so that I have like an outline of it too, even though I probably created an outline to make the class in the first place. Yeah. It just, it's just another way to sort of like prep and like remember the knowledge and have once I take those notes, then that's another thing I can read to prep because I can't watch, you know, the videos uh, if I only have like 10 minutes to go over my notes, like right before or something like right. that. Uh, so, so it can help with that. And what was I going to say? There's one other thing about Skillshare. Um, uh, does it help you build your, like, do you believe that it could help you get clients off of Skillshare or do you think it's like a totally different audience? I think it's a different audience for me. Okay. I think it would gotcha. depend like maybe yeah. with the people who are doing more creative artistic stuff, people mm-hmm. watching those classes and maybe getting frustrated that they're not producing the same results might say, I, I have an art project for you, you know? Right. Right. Um, oh, the other thing I was going to say is wh- when you do give it a try, go in when they're doing a teacher challenge because you have the possibility of getting like a greater placement um, in irrelevant category for whatever class that you're making. And so that, like I said, with my class, like that's what helped me find early success was getting like a feature in the marketplace. And then it carried on to everything else I've done since then. Gotcha. they, They usually do a monthly. So as long as you like go on their website and say, you know, I want to be a student, then you'll be on their email list and you'll be able to find out when the next one is, which I would imagine there's either one already going on or there will definitely be one for the new year. Yeah, there is one going on now. So I like, have I missed the boat? Like if I know how to make a course, do I still need to take that? I still need to start at the challenge. Um, at the beginning of the challenge. You don't have to. And the thing about the challenges is they have resources, but you don't have to like go through them to be gotcha. to, to qualify. Although for the Skillshare specific stuff, it might be worth it to yeah. understand their students specifically and what they're looking for and what they would feature a class for essentially. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, cool. So what I will do uh, for those listening, if you're interested, I will link to Skillshare's workshops page. That way, whenever you happen to be listening to this, you can go there and see what the next teacher challenge workshop when that's happening. Yeah. Um, cool. So, well, Maddie, thank you so much for your time. I do have one more question for you. It's my favorite question. And it's, do you have any trade secrets for us? Trade secrets. Oh man. Um, let's see. In terms of one of these things or SEO content writing. Anything that you think will be helpful to the listeners? Um, Something people really liked about my WordCamp US talk that kind of came up like during the Q&A is um, for for doing like a user experience audit of your website, uh, it helps to also do a user experience audit of your competitor's website or websites uh, to see how users are responding to to like each entity essentially. And, and something that you might be missing about your own website and sort of a related offshoot tip of that is when you're considering adding like a new design element or some sort of functionality to your website, look at, look and see what like enterprise businesses are doing because they have more budget to like test things out. You know, they, they've probably done their 
A-B testing and other experiments to figure out exactly why that's the way that it should be. So, uh, so yeah, so use your competition to, to make decisions about your own website. Obviously not just straight up copying stuff, but sure. to draw inspiration. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Um, I do that. So I'm, I'm happy <laughs> to hear that that's like good advice. Um, yeah, I mean, inspiration and, and you know, uh, why reinvent the wheel if, if something's exactly. working? Yeah. So awesome. Well, Maddie, thank you so much for your time today. Where can people find you to learn more? I would say either check out my website, which is just the-blogsmith.com. Or um, I'm most active on Twitter. It's just at Maddie Osman. All right. I will link both of those in the show notes, uh, which you can find over at howibuilt.it. Maddie, thanks again for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Joe. Thanks so much to Maddie for joining me this week. There are lots of resources, lots of links uh, to check out. You can find all of those over at howibuilt.it slash 164. But uh, I like a lot of what she said um, about how important uh, uh, the importance of word of mouth in the WordPress community is, how we're all looking out for each other. Uh, Vito Peleg touched on that a couple of episodes ago. Uh, her advice specifically about uh, Fiverr and the pro marketplace, I think was really good. And her tips on diversifying your income are uh, super important. So again, I will link to all of the resources that she talked about um, over at howibuilt.it slash 164. Thanks so much to Hrefs and Text Expander for sponsoring the show. Maddie, actually, uh, this was not planned, but Maddie uses Hrefs a lot uh, and she loves it. So uh, it's nice to have a guest vouching for one of our sponsors. And I have been using Text Expander for a long time. It saves me a bunch of time. So definitely check both of those uh, those companies out as well. They support the show and they make sure that I'm able to bring it to you on a weekly basis. Now, if you liked this episode, be sure to subscribe, to rate the show, review it in Apple Podcasts, because uh, it really helps people discover the show. New people... Uh, start discovering the show and listening and things like that. So you can find the links to everything I've talked about so far again over at howibuilt.it slash 164. If you are interested in starting your own podcast and you want to get that free podcast workbook I talked about at the top of the show, you can go over to podcastworkbook.com. So that's everything that I have to request of you today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, get out there and build something.